Hosea chapter 4. We'll be looking at Hosea 4, 5 in the first few verses of chapter 6, which is what Tim read earlier. Let me pray one more time before we look into God's word here together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to look into your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to not only see and sing our hope, but to hear it proclaimed from this passage. Pray that you would draw those who are away from you, draw those who are outside of Christ, that they might be born again, even this morning, even through the preaching of your word. We pray for those who have in some way turned their back on you. I pray that they would see the beauty and the goodness of knowing you for which they were made. And we pray that you would do all of this and more by your spirit. For your great name's sake, we pray. Amen. Have you ever turned from God? It's kind of a bold question, right? Have you ever turned your back on him? Perhaps it was for an afternoon, for just a, a moment in time, just for a few quick seconds, or maybe it was for a day or two or a week or or even, even months or maybe, maybe longer. Maybe when I ask that question for you, what comes to mind is really what we would call spiritual dryness. A time that, man, I, I don't even like thinking about it. But I was harboring sin. I was not in his word. Maybe for others of you, what comes to mind with this idea of turning your back on God is a time when it was really marked by spiritual deadness. If you're honest, you would look back and say, I, I don't think I was born again. I don't think I was a Christian. Maybe you have your back turned towards God this morning. If you were just honest, you're like, that's, that's where I am. As we come to the book of Hosea and we continue now in chapter 4, this is, where, this is where Israel is. This is where the northern kingdom, sometimes called Ephraim, is. They have turned their back on God. Individually, yes, but as a nation. And they've done it for generations. Right? As we talked a few weeks ago, they're at least 13 kings in of idolatry and rebellion. In our passage, we'll see mention of priests and prophets. So it's not just the kings. It's everyone in leadership has not just let them turn their back on God. They've led them to turn their back on God. They have walked down the road of idolatry and God calls his prophet Hosea. To tell the truth about their spiritual unfaithfulness. We saw this two weeks ago. It is spiritual adultery. Then Hosea is called to show God's faithfulness. By marrying Gomer. Who turns her back on him. Goes after other lovers. But God is faithful. And he calls Hosea to be faithful. To woo and win his bride back. So we saw that. God isn't just all about hedges and walls and cattle panels, kind of narrowing options, shutting down other lovers and driving us back to him. Yes, but also alluring and winning and showing his love towards us, his people. When we turn from God and walk away from him, when we're living in unrepentant sin, whether it be for an hour or for a month, We often have this picture in mind that, boy, I've traveled so far from God. I feel so distant. 
Even if it hasn't been a lot of time, we can feel like there's a lot of almost space between us and God. Like, man, I, I've been going this way, away from him. And, and we, can, we can, I don't think we would say it, but I think oftentimes as we find ourselves in that, and he very kindly makes us aware of it, we can feel like, okay, I've come so far, and if I turn around now, I'll have to go so far to get back to him. He, he is distant from me now. And what we find, what Hosea reminds us of, is when we find ourselves turning our back on God, walking away from Him, when we turn around, He's been pursuing us. He's right there. There's not penance. There's not working our way back. He's, he's been pursuing us all along. We couldn't see His love because we had turned our back. We were blinded by our sin. That's the image we saw last week at the end of Hosea chapter 2 and in chapter 3. God pursuing his wayward bride. But there's no journey back. There's no penance required. There's no earning of grace. There's certainly no winning of his affection. Praise God. Isn't God's posture towards his people itself an invitation to repent an invitation to turn quicker next time isn't his faithful grace towards you in your unfaithfulness a calling to you even now to turn to him maybe for the first time and be saved hosea is calling israel to repentance but As we've seen the last few weeks, there's actually something going on just a layer lower. So there is idolatry, there is Baal worship, we'll see that clearly in our passage. But underneath that, it is a call to know God. Hosea is pleading and inviting to know their God. So I think the logic of our passage, before we get in, is something like this. You turn from him because you don't know him. You turn from him because you don't know him as you ought to know him. He has no weight in your heart. If you knew him, it would change everything. So continuing this morning in Hosea chapter 4, 5, and 6, though we've left the the kind of illustration of Hosea and Gomer behind, we've not left the language of relationship. It's hiding out in our passage. I want to point it out to you as we go. There's still talk of whoredom and adultery, both literal and, and spiritual. But he's going to turn to the theme of knowing. The theme of knowing. This is the knowing of relationship. This is the knowing of intimacy. Not the knowing that social media promises us. Well, we can go on and we can know what other people are up to. Now, this is is a deep kind of knowing. This is a real connection and affection. It's not the knowing of kind of looking in or looking on or observing. It's, It's relational knowing. Point number one this morning, we'll just have two points, uh, beginning in chapter four, verse one, all the way down to the end of chapter five is this. When you don't know God, when you don't know God, I think that's what we see, right? So we're going to see the Lord bringing the case, bringing uh, an issue with the nation, and it's rooted not just in idolatry, but underneath that they don't know him. He's their God on the doctrinal statement. If you read the sign out front. They're God's people. They don't know him. That's the issue. 
You see this in the opening verses where Hosea brings this charge against the northern tribes. He calls it a controversy. Look at Hosea chapter 4 verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Note now, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. There's no covenant-keeping love because they don't know the covenant-keeping God. They're breaking God's law. You almost have a, a listing here. and I don't know if uh, the Lord had it in mind, but referring back to the, the law, the Ten Commandments, right? You, you don't love the Lord your God and you don't love your neighbor. About half the commands are, are listed explicitly here as being broken. Hosea then turns to the priests. They were to do more than offer sacrifices, though that had stopped some time ago. They were to teach. They were to be the teachers of Israel. And clearly, they had stopped teaching God's word. Look down at verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you, he's addressing the priests here, have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Israel didn't know God, and he doesn't blame Baal. He blames the leadership. You see, back in verse 5, the word prophet. We know kings and prophets and priests now. They're responsible and they have not taught God's word. This leads us to, I think, an important distinction, right? Between knowing about God and knowing God. I think the rest of the sermon is in part an unpacking of the difference. Between knowing God... And knowing just knowing about him. We can maybe say this, right? In order to know God, you have to know about him. He's revealed himself in scripture. So it's not that kind of knowing truths about God is is wrong and we're only into the relationship. No doctrine, only devotion. It's like, no, we got to hold these things together. This is how Paul puts it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So apart from God's word, there is no true knowledge of God. He's revealed himself. And when we neglect God's self-revelation, we turn from him. We cannot know him truly. We see this theme of knowing yet again in chapter 5. Look down in chapter 5 of Hosea, verses 3 and 4. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. So he says, man, you all have been unfaithful to Yahweh, but let me drill down with the why. The why is you don't know him. You are his people. He is your God. You do not, you do not know him. So Hosea is saying, I think we could draw this out, knowing God makes all the difference. It's, it's the essential thing, right? When you don't know God, weighty, savingly central in your life, you will go after lesser lovers. And we as Christians, those who have been born again, if he doesn't have that weight in our life, we will chase. Our eyes will wander. Israel didn't trust God. With the day to day. So they needed Baal. 
Right? They needed a backup. Yeah, maybe God is good for delivery from Egypt, but if I want rain this week, I need to go up to the high hill and make a sacrifice. Maybe God's good on the large scale. Yes, he made us, but my wife is barren and I need a son. So I'll pull the levers and manipulate the gods. We can hear about Baal worship. We talked about the last few weeks and it can just seem so foreign to us. Like, pastor, I got to be honest. My heart isn't drawn to Baal this morning. Thank you for your honesty. Mine isn't either. This is Old Testament worldliness. That's a category I think we can do something with, right? This is worldliness. This is wanting to go about it the world's way, apart from God, outside of God. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? They believed that if they got busy with temple prostitutes, God would get busy and there would be life. There would be rain. There would be children. There would be births. And God says, no, you're trying to work the pagan system. And I'm going to hold you accountable. Look down at verses 12 through 14. Back in chapter 4. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of hills and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your bride, your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. And I think we could insert the word alone. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. So God turns Israel over to their sins for a time. He removes his restraining hand. Exile is coming. Look down at verse 17. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. If we were to to back up, this is jolting language. It's a startling passage. I think we would say, and Israel demonstrates, and the New Testament confirms, that when you don't know God, you don't live godly. Hosea made this connection back in 4.1, right? There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. Those are descriptions of God. And he's saying, it's not found in God's people. Next line, the end of verse 1. There's no knowledge of God in the land. When you don't know the faithful God, you don't live a faithful life. It is as if God makes all the difference, right? So what matters isn't, do you call yourself a Christian? Do you attend church? Are you familiar with the Bible? Do you know Christian doctrine? All those things are good, but they are fruit. They are not the root. What matters is, do you know him? Not about him, not about his book, Not do you know Christians, not do you know a lot of Christians, not do you know a lot of Christians over a long period of time, but do you know him? Do you have a relationship with God through Christ? The message of the Bible is you can through Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone. And when you do that knowing, that knowledge changes everything. Your affections for him will rise. Your affection 
for lesser lovers will wilt. New affection drives out old lovers. So worldliness wilts as love for God springs up in our hearts. I want to make this thematic connection with a few other passages in scripture. The first is in James chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. I want you to listen. 4-4. James 4-4. James connects spiritual adultery and loving the world. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enmity, an enemy of God. James is echoing the themes that we have here in Hosea. The nation was in love with the world and its gods. They had befriended Baal and it had put them at odds with Yahweh. We saw a similar theme in, in 1 John. We studied 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John not that long ago. 1 John chapter 2. We talked about the fact that love for God dries up and drives out love for the world. So if someone loves God, it's a saving relationship, knows him, is growing in that knowledge, love for the world will be driven out. This is how... Thomas Chalmers put it. We know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our hearts than to keep in our hearts the love of God. Do you see what he's saying, right? We know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our hearts, love of Baal, love of idolatry, the love of anything and everything but God, than to keep in our hearts the love of God. So knowing God, experiencing his love through the gospel is central. So when Hosea says, Israel, you don't love God, it's not surprising that what we find is love for the world, love for Baal that rushes in to fill that vacuum. When we come to idolatry, again, a broader theme, what we learned really quick, what I've learned really quick in my Christian life is I can't fight it by just saying, well, that's stupid, Right? We can look at Baal and say that's stupid. We can look at the idols in our life and if we get there, we can say, well, those are stupid. I shouldn't be doing that. We have to present our hearts with another object that's worthy of our heart's attachment. Or to put it in the language of our passage, we have to know God. We have to urge our hearts, as it were, to resign the old affection and and then provide it with another So if you urge your heart to exchange old worldly affection for a new one, you will find that your heart rescued, right, over time. But the new affection must have an allure powerful enough to disarm the old. So knowing God alone can do this. So you can't leave your heart without an object. You will cherish something. You will give ultimate worth. You will have affection for. You will take pleasure in something. You will worship something. We learn this from the nation of Israel. We learn this throughout scripture. Your heart must have something to cling to. It will find something. For Israel, it was Baal. And if she left Baal, she would find another lover. Loving anything and everyone but her husband. Until she returns to him. 
We saw this again last week. You cannot serve two masters. This foundation keeps you from continuing to love lesser lovers. Here's why. God is the object that is always and infinitely worthy of your heart's attachment. So knowing God now in and through Christ is what changes everything. Thomas Chalmers, again, we heard this in First John, hear it again. We know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our hearts than to keep in our hearts the love of God. And no other way by which to keep our hearts in the love of God than building ourselves up on the most holy faith. That denial of the world is possible even as all things are possible to him that believeth. So how do we stop from loving the world? How do we stop from idolatry or committing spiritual adultery or turning our backs on God? We displace our love for fill in the blank by setting forth God in Christ as more worthy of our heart's attachment. We return to him and we get to know him and we pursue him. And we treasure him. This leads to point number two. Let us press on to know the Lord. Let us press on to know the Lord. We've talked about this a few times in the past. It was true for Israel. It's true for us. We don't pursue holiness by aiming at avoidance. So Israel did need to avoid Baal. They did need to turn from Baal worship. But avoiding Baal isn't the same as walking the path of holiness. We pursue holiness by aiming at God. Only when he is central, our chief affection, only when we know him will we truly live for him. Only then will other lovers lose their hold on our hearts. So it's in this context... Of Hosea 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Israel doesn't know God. That we arrive at some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And Tim read them earlier. Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. In these verses God reveals his heart. And then he gently pleads with my heart. These verses, Hosea 6, 1 through 3, are a call to know God, to really know him, to lean into getting to know God in Christ through his word, to love him supremely with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me reread for you Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, and we'll linger over these as we close. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn down, he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rain that waters the earth.
Isaiah wants us to see that all, all the tearing down has been for healing. All the wounding has been for the purpose of winning. He chastens those he loves, so he uses hedges and walls and cattle panels for this purpose, to drive his people back to him in love, right? So he doesn't just warn. The prophets do warn, but he is wooing. He is drawing. Maybe as Tim read it, and I read it again, verse 2 of Hosea 2, or uh, chapter 6 rather, caught your eye. Look again at verse 2. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. I don't think this is a direct prophecy of Christ. But what we have here is an Old Testament pattern. And I think this pattern is why the Apostle Paul can say he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There's a pattern of death, two days, being raised up, being healed, being restored note the goal there at the end of verse 2 that we may live before him right living in god's presence knowing him and being known by him returning to eden as it were is the goal and then the prophet the prophet hosea in verse 3 begins to plead he he joins israel on the side of the unfaithful bride says that's us And let us return. Let us know. He calls Israel to join him in knowing their God. In the bulletin this morning, I provided a few resources. I want to just point them out to you. One is a book called Knowing Christ. The title is a riff on the classic Knowing God by Jay Packer. This one's by Mark Jones. I I noted the pages and how long the chapters are. So I want you to, this would be a great way. Just read two or three pages, four or five pages. And, and, and pursue this kind of knowledge of God. Knowing him. Or A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy. It would be a great place to start. To say, man, I want to grow in knowing my God. Looking for summer reading? There is two resources. Also in your bulletin, there's some questions. Some application questions. Where I'm trying to encourage you. Maybe this afternoon. Maybe with a family member, maybe with a friend, maybe this week, to make the connection between knowing God and holiness and see that that's not just an Old Testament truth, but it's a whole Bible truth. Knowing God really does make the difference. Back in Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, he says, Let us press on to know the Lord. Maybe especially when Satan tempts me to despair. And tells me of the guilt within. He says, let us press on when we feel far from God. When we fear if we turn away, turn around, he'll be nowhere to find, be found. Let's press on when our affection for lesser lovers begins to rise in our hearts. We press on to know him when we're distracted by the world and all that's shiny seems golden. In all seasons, let us press on to know the Lord, to know his faithfulness, to know his covenant-keeping love in our lives, to, to know his pursuing grace, his persistent affection for us. Look at the language again in verse 3. He will come to us as the showers. Praise the Lord for rain, right? As the shower, as the spring rains that water the earth. 
press on to know his goodness and his supremacy and his sovereignty. The Bible uses images of God and they're often in stark contrast. So in chapter 5 of Hosea, God is called a lion. God is also called a moth and dry rot the previous verse. Right? He's, he's going to erode them. He's, they're they're going to have no leg to stand on. It's going to fall apart. They're trusting in their lovers. He's going to pursue them with boldness. He's going to fight for them as, as a lion. And yet we know he's also gentle like a lamb. He's hen-like in caring and gathering for his people. Get to know his unchangeableness, his constancy. He's as sure as the dawn, as sure as the sun rising. Get to know his eternality, right? No beginning, no end. His mercy, his righteousness. Get to know his beauty and his holiness and his perfection and his glory. Brothers and sisters, let's press on to know the Lord to, to know him truly through his word, yes, but, but personally, doctrinally, yes, but devotionally. To get to know him as he really is, and to know him as he really is for me. Intimately, experientially. This is to know he's close. And to know his closeness. This is to know that he is good. And then to taste it on Tuesday. This is what we were made for, friends. No access to this apart from Christ. But this is what we were made for. To know our God. And it is only this kind of knowing. That will satisfy us. It is only this kind of knowing, this kind of a relationship that will sanctify us. And it, it only comes through Jesus. So blood-bought mercy is our only plea, right? It's the only thing we have. So we return, sounding like the hymn, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. This is my prayer for you, First Baptist Church. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Would you pray with me? Father God, we do believe that knowing you makes all the difference. And so when we claim to know you and live like it makes no difference, we either don't know you savingly or we don't know you as we ought to know you as your people. So would you help us to humble ourselves and return to you? That we would see the glory of being able in Christ to know forgiven and welcome to know our creator. To begin to grow in our knowledge of you doctrinally and devotionally. Truly and experientially. 
Because, Father, we, we long to have a knowledge of you that would satisfy our hearts. That would keep our hearts from running other, after other things. We, we long to have a knowledge of you that would sanctify us. That because we know you, we would be like you. Because we know our God, we would increasingly, by your grace, be godly. That we would know a faithful God. And as a result, be, by your grace alone, through your spirit, a faithful people. Father, would you help us that we might know, that we might press on to know the Lord. And we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus.